This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Property Patter. My name is Sam Lear and I'm an associate in the Real Estate Disputes team. Joining me today are clearly Sharp, a senior associate in our real estate team, and Celine Jones, um, an associate in our real estate team. Recently, they produced a really helpful article for our website called Top 10 Tips Using Best All and Reasonable Endeavours following a recent landmark case that saw the principles um, investigated in greater detail. Now, endeavours clauses are used when a party is obliged to try to fulfil an obligation rather than satisfy it absolutely. It is clear from recent cases that there are differing degrees of effort required depending on the wording used, whether best, all, or reasonable. Now, Julie, what is the meaning of reasonable endeavours and what is the difference when parties agree to use all or best endeavours? Thanks, Sam. Yes, so <laughs> reasonable endeavours, all endeavours or best endeavours, which ones should you use? Because you obviously would like to qualify any absolute obligation. Otherwise, no matter how onerous that obligation is, you have to fulfil it. So you generally best endeavours is the most onerous of these provisions with reasonable endeavours being the least burdensome and all reasonable endeavours coming somewhere in between the two. So it's, it's a question of degrees of commitment. Effectively, what is the level of trying that is required? So first of all, looking at reasonable endeavours, this is the least burdensome than the alternative best or all test. So using reasonable endeavours has been said to be a question of what is reasonable, what a reasonable and prudent person acting properly in their own commercial interest would have done to try and achieve that objective. So a party has to show that it has taken a reasonable course of action to try and achieve the objective. If they can demonstrate that, then there's unlikely to be any further obligation upon it in respect of achieving the objective, even if other avenues are available. So that's reasonable endeavours. Looking next at the other end of the scale, best endeavours, so best endeavours may require a party to sacrifice some of its own commercial interests in order to carry out a contractual obligation. Note the words of best endeavours, they they're not second best endeavours, <laughs> and that may even require expenditure to be incurred or involve litigation or appealing. It's, it's not an absolute obligation, but it's the next best thing. So an obligation to use reasonable endeavours to achieve that aim probably only requires a party to take one reasonable course of action, not all of them, whereas an obligation to use best endeavours probably requires a party to take all the reasonable courses of action they can. So then let's look at what might be in between. There's all reasonable endeavours. So it's a higher level of obligation than reasonable, requires taking all reasonable paths, but it's a lesser degree than best endeavours. It's probably a middle position somewhere between the two, implying something more than reasonable, but less than best commonly adopted as a compromise position, but its precise meaning has not really ever been settled by the courts, which is why the recent case of Brook Holmes Vista versus Portfolio Property has been received with such interest. Thank you very much for that, uh, Julie. Uh, Celine, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about that landmark case, and particularly as to what attitude the courts will take to the extent of the effort required. Of course, uh, the case was between Brooke Holmes Vista Limited and Portfolio 
Property Partners Limited. Uh, the case was for over £500 million. It was pretty complex, um, so I don't propose going into full detail here. So by way of quick summary, Brooke Clones was the claimant who brought a claim for breach of contract against Portfolio Property Partners. The basis um, of the breach was interesting uh, because it was on the basis that Portfolio Properties failed to use all reasonable endeavours to enter into a final binding agreement as per the heads of terms. Um, throughout their transaction, Brooke Clones was concerned about the defendant's non-action. So for example, portfolio property uh, failed to provide plans and agree a mechanism for identifying the land uh, being sold. And this prevented the conclusion of the sale agreement. So the judgment was quite interesting in that it mentioned that it noted that the active, that active endeavors was required on the part of the parties where all reasonable endeavours are required. Passivity or inactivity is likely to be construed as a potential breach. So in this case, property portfolios, failure to act amounted to breach of its obligation to act with all reasonable endeavours. So as Julie mentioned before, all reasonable endeavours, uh, this obligation was previously seen as a compromise between reasonable and best endeavours. However, this high court decision suggests otherwise. And now that an all reasonable endeavours obligation is actually more similar in nature to best endeavours. However, it's really important to note that every case turns on the facts, but this is certainly very interesting and important to bear in mind for future. Absolutely, that's that's really interesting. Um, so thinking practically, um, why did the endeavours obligation spring rise to a claim when the obligations were contained in heads of terms as opposed to you know, the sale agreement or, or deed? I think this um, really highlights a practical point for everyone to bear in mind. So in heads of terms, you would normally use protective language, um, ensuring that it's clearly noted that it's subject to contract. Um, to make sure that it's not um, later on construed as being a contract. Because in this case, um, it seems that the courts are really keen to enforce parties' intentions. Excellent. And Julie, how can parties avoid uncertainties as to what an endeavours clause involves? For instance, what steps must be taken to achieve the obligation and what steps don't have to be taken? Yeah, this is this is really important. And as, as Celine said, with that recent case, it's really important to make sure that you're that you've, you've taken steps to document what that obligation means that you have to do. And any assessment needs to be made on a case by case basis, but you need to be really aware of the particular wording of your provisions and get it right. So you have to ask what steps must be taken to achieve the obligation and set them out expressly. Should costs be incurred? How much? How long should the party endeavour? What happens if timescales are not met? Does the ob obligation lapse? Does it continue or does it downgrade over time if not achieved? What are the notice requirements? Is there a requirement to litigate or appeal? So that's you know the steps that might have to be taken. Set it out in the agreement, be clear, 
What steps do not have to be taken? What is not expected to be carried out? Specify that as well and be clear as to the different levels of obligation imposed. So to avoid uncertainties as to what an endeavours clause may require, put them in specifically and what, what happens if the timings are not met. The only other point I would mention is that an endeavours obligation will likely fail if the underlying objective is unenforceable because of uncertainty. So only use endeavours clauses where there's no other way of a phrasing an obligation, as they're always inherently uncertain in scope. Um, although in the Brooke Holmes case, there was no argument raised on this basis that the obligation was void as an agreement to agree in the heads of terms, there was clearly a risk of such interpretation. So be aware of that. So, so overall, just ensure that endeavours obligations are, are combined with clearly defined objectives. Ultimately, as you proceed then to satisfy those endeavours objective obligations, record your evidence of your efforts that you're taking to satisfy them and to keep all parties informed. And, all, and hopefully it won't give rise to another Brick Holmes case. Absolutely. Julie, thank you very much. And, and Celine, uh, as I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, uh, both of them produced a really helpful uh, top 10 tips guidance notes, which we shall put um, in the notes um, that accompany the link to this, this episode. Until next time, thank you very much. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast.